Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome to another session here in the book of Proverbs. And I'm here today again uh, with my brother and co-laborer, Forrest Height. And uh, we've received several questions from viewers who've been watching our Proverbs series. And, um, and well, we're going to take a look at them and try to give an answer. Welcome. Thanks, Brother Paul. Um, as you can see, we're in a little bit of a different format, trying some new things here today. Uh, do stick around at the end of the video. I'll be giving an exciting update about this year's. But for now, Brother Paul, would you open us in prayer? Absolutely. Father, we come before you and we recognize that that yours is the place of wisdom. And so we only, Lord, want to say those things that are in accordance with your word. And Lord, it is, it is with the motivation that Christ be honored and that your people, especially your young people, would grow. That they might be conformed to the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll start with a few questions that I've seen several times over the course of this series. Um, something that you stress often, Brother Paul, is the importance of the local church. But as you know, some people really struggle to find churches, uh, find sound churches where they live. So Neri asks, what should I do if I can't find a sound and biblical church? I've had bad experiences with pastors and members at local churches. Is it safe to just fellowship online? Uh, first of all, um it is not, well, I don't know if I would use the terminology, is it safe? But it is not really the will of God. It's not the perfect will of God. God wants us all to be a part of a local congregation where not only we are sitting under godly elders and, and being served by godly deacons, but also we're having fellowship with one another and mutually strengthening one another. We get this question all the time. Now, let me just give you a few things really quick. First of all, um, there are churches out there. Uh, there are no perfect churches out there, but there are good and sincere biblical churches with good leaders. And um, so whenever I can't find something, one of the things that I do is ask, is the problem with them or with me? And I'm not saying that the problem is with everyone who can't find a biblical church. There, it, it is in this day difficult to find a church that's just scripture. But... Um, Keep praying, keep calling on the Lord. He, he will help you. And also, I'd like to just give you a it's a website. It's called founders.org, and it's got a list there of churches that uh, that hold to the scriptures. Uh, they've they've signed up to that website because they believe certain things or at least they they claim to. And I think that's a good place to start. It's founders.org and see if there's a church in your area. Yeah, obviously we can't personally endorse all the churches on that list, but it is definitely a good, a good starting place uh, for a very important thing. Uh, all right, Brother Paul, more specifically to Proverbs, one question I've seen several times goes along the lines, along the lines of this one from Angela. 
Why did Solomon, even with the great wisdom and understanding that God gave him, turn away from God and greatly sin against him? This is an important question, and it'll help us with, with other questions. First of all, the Bible doesn't tell us. So we have to look at the context. We have to look at probably other scriptures that deal with what we call apostasy and falling away. Uh, but ultimately, God does not give us the answer in scripture. Also, we do not know, did he continue in that state of falling away or did he eventually repent and turn back to the Lord? Uh, we do know that here are some of the reasons why he ended up in the state he was in. Um, he was not to, according to the law, he was not to accumulate wealth and many possessions. He was not to use his, his uh, position as king for his own advantage. He was to keep the law of God according to Deuteronomy 17. He was to write his own copy of the law of God and to study it, meditate on it daily. But as he became greater and greater, it seems that he became more and more independent of the law of God and of God. And he began to slide, breaking many commands, which eventually led to apostasy. So what we learn from him is this, is that it's not enough just to have a lot of knowledge. We must also have a right heart toward the Lord. And that is um, ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit in us in conversion, the doctrine of regeneration. And we need to cultivate, even after we become Christians, the mind of Christ so that we don't get into a slide like Solomon. Uh, all right, then uh, one more frequently asked question. In the last Q&A, we discussed relationships with unbelieving family members and how we ought to live the gospel before them. Related to that, we got several questions regarding unbelieving friends about whether it would be the same principles or how it would be different. So I'll bring up two here. Achilles, who is 11, asks, If I have friends that are unbelievers, should I still hang out with them? And then Clara asks, How can I associate with unbelievers to fulfill the Great Commission without adopting their behavior? First of all, if you're a young person, um, work out also these. Make sure you go to your parents and talk to your parents about this. And also, you know, say, Mom and Dad, uh, I want to reach out to my friends, but I want you to monitor me. And I want you to observe what I'm doing. And if you see any red flags, please bring those up to me. But there is a, a principle that I would like to show you. It's in chapter 6, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians. And it's, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship with light with darkness. Now, from from other texts, we know that you and I can't leave the world. We're surrounded by unbelieving people and we need to be in relationships with them. The one thing that I would say, or the two things I would say is that the younger you are, the more prone to being influenced by others. And so you need to be very careful. That's why I told you, you really need the counsel of your parents. Secondly, to be unequally yoked, a yoke was a thing that they put over two oxen usually or three oxen. And it was a lot of times made out of um, wood or metal so that if one ox went one way, the other ox had to follow. There was no options. If you begin to see that you're being influenced in a way that is contrary to Scripture, it's beginning the, the influence of your friends is beginning to nudge on you even in the slightest bit and pull you away from obedience, then you need to think about cutting back on those relationships. Very important. 
All right, well, let's move to, uh, to some, some questions that are more specific to some of the last several lessons. Uh, in Lesson 32, you said that God's great goal is to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ. You stated Christ Himself learned obedience through the things that He suffered, and you challenged us to follow in His footsteps. Regarding that, Allison asks, why did Jesus have to learn obedience, even though He was sinless and already perfect? Okay, well... Um... First of all, of course, that's from Hebrews 5, 8. So that is what the Bible teaches, that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. But the key to understand that, to understanding that, is in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 40. And let me read it to you. The child, referring to Jesus, and look what it says, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then in verse 52 of the same chapter, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. But now here's the, the amazing statement. And he increased in favor with God and man. Now, how can that be? I mean, he was perfect from the very beginning. God loved him from the very beginning, even before he became a man. Well, here's what you need to see. First of all, Jesus is God in the flesh, and we have to protect the doctrine of the deity of Christ. He is God. But in doing that, sometimes we may neglect to realize that he was truly God and yet also truly man, real man. OK, not a demagogue, not something in between God and man. He was really God and he was really man. And as a man, he was born and he went through every natural stage of growth, just like any human being. And he had to be that way in order to be our representative, in order to stand in our place, to live in our place, to die in our place. So here we see in, in verse 40 that he continued to grow. Okay, he was a baby and he grew up. We see him 12 years old in the chapel um, or in the temple. Uh, he continued to grow and become strong physically. He grew just like a normal human being, increasing in wisdom. Now, remember in Philippians chapter two, although he was equal with God, OK, he emptied himself. That does not mean that he stopped being God or that his deity diminished, but it means that he laid aside uh, those powers, those privileges, the independent use of his deity in the sense of of omniscience, knowing all things and everything. And he literally grew like a normal person now. When when my child was, let's say, a year and a half old and began to start to walk, OK, um, they 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 came upon a challenge, the need to go from crawling to walking. All right. And they overcame that. And when they overcame that, even though I loved my child, just I love my child so much the moment they were born, when they faced that challenge and they overcame it, my esteem and appreciation and favor toward the child grew. Every time the child moved into another stage of maturity and had to face greater and greater trials and complexities, my favor increased in that way. Well, it was the same way with Christ. He grew and grew, not just physically, but also in his understanding of who he was, of the redemptive work he had to carry out. And every time he increased in wisdom, which put more demands on him, he also increased in, in obedience. As the commands and commands became more difficult, as the trials of life became more difficult, 
unlike us, he just kept meeting them perfectly, perfectly, perfectly as a man. Okay, so uh, as he suffered, as literally a human being, he suffered. Now he can be our high priest. Now, God has perfect knowledge of our suffering, but in this case, we have also identification. He actually felt those things, and therefore he can be a merciful, compassionate high priest, full of mercy, full of grace. Okay, now with us, um, when, when, my, you know, when my son was three years old and we walked across the parking lot, I held his hand, and I, I, that wasn't a bad thing. But he's 19 now. I'm not going to hold his hand walking across the parking lot because he, he's growing, he's growing, he's growing. In the same way, you and I need to develop and grow. And the moment someone's a Christian, God doesn't put some test upon them or some trial upon them that, that he would put on maybe a Christian who's 30, been walking with Christ 35 years. So little by little, we begin to face greater challenges in the Christian life. And as we overcome those, we're growing in our obedience. Amen. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, well, talking of growing uh, and following in, in Christ's footsteps, in Lesson 45, you spoke for several minutes about God's desire and intent to conform us to the image of His Son. Seth, who is 18 years old, admitted that he has a hard time with that. He tends to see Christ primarily in a serious and authoritative way, which makes it difficult for him to reconcile the idea of conformity. He acknowledges that it may be an unbiblical view of Christ that's causing this discomfort, um, but he asks, what does the process of being conformed to the image of Christ look like? Okay. First of all, you're very, very correct. Your view of, of God is going to influence everything in your life. Your view of Christ is going to influence everything. You know, if if I believed that God was severe in the sense of looking at me, scrutinizing my life, finding fault, being disappointed and all these different things, I, I just wouldn't be able to function. Now, uh, I, I, I still sin. I'm imperfect. There's so much more room for me to grow. Um, but because of the love of God, who he really is, see a correct understanding of God, but especially a correct understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. Because of that, I know that God's uh, relationship with me is not founded upon my imperfect works, but upon Christ's perfect work on my behalf. So now when I talk about I want to grow in obedience, it's not because I'm afraid I'm going to be a disappointment. When I say I want to be more conformed to Christ, it's not so that God might love me. That's a done deal. God loves me and I'm secure in the grace of God in Christ. So now I'm free to, to just grow. And, and how does that happen? You know, there's all kinds of books. But, but basically, let me just share with you. Read his word from cover to cover. Meditate on passages that are of importance to you at that time. Seek to obey, have godly fellowship in a church, pray, and little by little you're going to grow. I, I meet so many people who are so concerned about growing, 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 that they neglect the means of grace we've been given to grow. And that is simply studying the Word of God, 
prayer and fellowship in a godly church. Now, let me say something to you that's very important. There are many days I read the word and I see what it's saying, but they're, they're not tremendously. I'm not getting this, you know, just amazing, you know, insight every day and every day seeing amazing growth. But if I'm faithful to the word over time, I will grow even when I'm not recognizing it. I think that's a, a definitely an important distinction. I think it can be really easy if you get bogged down in, in the seriousness to to neglect to think of, of the love and the kindness yes. of the Lord. Um, and it's, that's really important in serving Him that it, it brings true joy and, and true fulfillment. So thank you for that. Um, in Lesson 32, you said, uh, so many people begin praying well. Few people finish praying well. Few people persevere. That's why so many people miss out on promises that God has made because even though they start praying, they do not persevere in prayer. So one viewer asked in response to that, what does it look like to truly persevere in prayer? Well, again, there's so much tied into this. As we understand the revelation of God in the scriptures, we begin to understand the promises that so many promises he made for so many different areas. We begin to look at those promises and say, you know, those are for me. And we begin to pray those promises. We also begin to see as we walk with Christ um, our great need and actually how, you know, helpless we are apart from him. And the more we see our dependence upon Christ, the more we pray. And so instead of focusing on, I'm going to, you know, do these certain things to increase my prayer life, you want to increase your knowledge of who God is and who you are. And in that you will see how much you need him and seeing how much you need him. It'll give you, you know, it'll it'll be like an, an impulse to, to pray. Another thing that I want you to do is. Um, I don't think about so much. For example, with my wife or my children or somebody that's a friend of mine, I don't think about I'm going to increase my time from three hours a week to four hours a week. I don't think of it that way. And I don't want you to do it either. Um, think about just this. I, I, I want to have a deeper relationship with Christ. I want to walk with him. I want to know him better. And from that, we'll out of that will grow a prayer life. Um, I find myself uh, throughout the day and I, I don't want in any way for you to think this is trite. With with a reverence, I find that throughout the day I, I converse with Christ as much as I do my friends in this office. Just I, I'm doing this question and answer, you know, so when I'm walking down the hall, it's Lord, I'm about to do a question and answer. I need your help. I, I can't do this on my own. And so concentrate on building a personal relationship with Christ. And out of that, a prayer life will grow. All right. Next question. In, in lesson 48, you spoke a lot about generosity. Uh, it was one of the focuses of the lesson. But you also made a distinction between being generous and being foolish. So, for example, you said as a generous or sorry, as a Christian, be a generous person, not a foolish person. You need to give wisely. You need to study each situation. But in your heart, in your mind, be a generous person. One viewer asks, can you elaborate on that concept of foolish giving? Yes. And um, and it's very dangerous. We do a lot of things, you know, 
out of zeal that isn't that aren't necessarily biblical. Let me just give you a few principles. Uh, for example, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Um, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. So here we're seeing some wisdom that is necessary. He's not saying, I want you to give everything you have so that now you're in hardship and everyone else is in, in ease. He said, that's, that's not what I want. And so he's saying, in your giving and even in your generosity, think about what do you need to be a responsible person and to take care of your own responsibilities. You know, for example, you could give away everything you have but then what's probably going to happen? Someone else is going to have to come in and support you because you've given away everything you have. And so what he's saying is, look at what you need to live in dignity as a person. And and look, gauge your generosity based upon that. I remember when I first went into the ministry and and I was kind of doing itinerant preaching. And, you know, one time I even got paid um, 16 pizzas. I mean, you know, I didn't have a lot of money and and I had responsibilities. And so I, I made sure that I took care of my responsibilities so that the name of Christ would not be blasphemed among an unbelieving world because this preacher doesn't pay his bills. Yet at the same time, I sought to be generous. So that's one principle. Let, let me give you another one that I think is is also very important, and that is in First Timothy. Let's just go there really quick. First Timothy five eight. Um, he says, "But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." And so, again, discernment. What do I need in order to assume my God-given responsibility to take care of myself and my household? And that's going to require wisdom on your part. And there's one last thing that I think is real important for, um, especially for young, zealous Christians. And it's in 1 John. And uh, it is really, really important. Now, just... Just listen here. First John chapter three, verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? OK, now the word here that I want you to focus on is wh whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need. The word see here is Theoreo. And it means to observe, to discern, to kind of the idea of looking in order to calculate. I remember when I was a young Christian, I had some street guys that just moved into my, I had to move into my apartment. And every morning I got up at five to go to work. I'd come home at 11 at, at night from the library because I was working and going to school and they slept all day. I was being unbiblical in my generosity. 
I wasn't correctly. And a pastor at church told me, he actually rebuked me. I thought he was going to praise me for being generous. And he rebuked me. He says, you're allowing these men to continue in sin. You're not properly discerning the need. What do they need? And so there's a lot of people out there who who are really will use churches. They're charlatans and, and they'll use you. And so um, I, I believe that there are people who are not given responsibility over much finance because they simply have not developed the biblical wisdom to properly administrate it. So, again, through the study of Scripture, wisdom. Hmm. Yeah, that's hopeful. Um, okay, so I think we'll wrap this up with one more question here. Uh, in Lesson 36, you were teaching on uh, Proverbs 2, verse 16, which partly deals with flattery. Uh, you said, learn how to discern the difference between encouragement, which is biblical and a healthy thing, and flattering, which is unbiblical, deceptive, and very harmful. So you were primarily, I think, warning the listeners to be wary of people who flatter them. But one viewer had a question about the flip side of that. They ask. How do you know when you are flattering someone versus when you are giving them encouragement? It is when let's just throw out some words. First of all, excessive, excessive praise. Then let's look at praise that is contrary to discernment, that what you're saying about them is not really true. It, it's deceptive. Uh, you're the greatest person in the world. That, that, that's probably a bit deceptive. Now, it, you may be speaking in hyperbole, but is it really true? And thirdly, especially in the book of Proverbs, when there's flattery, there is uh, an ulterior motive. That is, someone says something to someone in order to gain their favor and then having their favor to use them for their own ends. So flattery is the very opposite of of love and speak the truth in love. Flattery doesn't do that. It speaks a lie in order to gain something. Okay. And um, if we have time, there was one question that I thought. Yeah, you went ahead and uh, answered that one quickly. So yeah. uh, if, if you um, want to do about, one more. Um, let me see here. It was about, I, ha I study and things like that, but I'm really not getting anywhere. Yeah, yeah, okay. Xavier. Uh, Xavier asks, what do I do when I pray to God for understanding when I read his word, but I just don't seem to get what he is saying? Well, one of the things that is so important again and again and again is being in a good church. It's not just, it is reading the word, but it's also God has ordained preaching and Hopefully you're in a church with a with a preacher who exposits the scriptures that teaches the scriptures. Another thing I would recommend is this. It's. Um, the word of God is the only word that is inerrant, infallible, inspired. So we know that. And and that's what we need more than anything. But there have been some study Bibles that have been, you know, made. Uh, the notes are not inspired, but the ones I'm going to recommend have been extremely helpful to me and to many individuals, not only in the English speaking world, but uh, throughout the world. And let me give you a few of them here. I just um, hope that this appears in the camera. Um, 
One is uh, the John MacArthur Study Bible. This study Bible is is extremely helpful. It's conservative. It's written by by men who believe the Bible is the word of God. And, and many people have used it. And I think what's neat about it is what's helpful is that you come across cities and concepts and places and, and just all kinds of events that, you know, unless you're going to pull out maps of Palestine or something, it's very, very difficult. And, and this will help you in that. But also this study Bible and the others I'm going to recommend, they are what we call, they, they represent historical biblical Christianity in the sense that they're going to keep you between the lines and help you understand the scriptures. Then there's the, the New Geneva Study Bible by its Ligonier, and I think it's now called the Reform, um, maybe the Reformation Study Bible. I think they changed the name, but it's by Ligonier, and it's been very, very helpful. I've used it. Then there is <laughs> the Reformation Heritage Study Bible, which um, is, is excellent, especially because if you want to do family devotions for fathers, this has family devotions and everything else to help you get into the scriptures. And then there's the, um, I don't have it, but uh, here with me, but the ESV study Bible. And again, why am I recommending this? They are all of them known for being in the center of evangelical, uh, Bible-believing Christianity, and they will be helpful. Yes, it is true. The notes are not inspired. They're written by men, and you know the Bible is the only inerrant, infallible Word of God, but they can be very helpful, and I would recommend that. Talk to your father, your mother. Talk to uh, your pastor. Find a really good study Bible. Um, that would be my recommendation. Yeah. I think people will appreciate that. There are definitely folks who have been asking about what study Bibles you might recommend. So that's helpful. So thank you, Brother Paul, for, for doing this today. Thank you to our viewers as well and to everyone who submitted questions. Please continue to do so. I do want to quickly run through a few updates regarding this Proverbs series. As you may know, Brother Paul uh, originally wanted to do these Proverbs lessons as a way to reach out to families who were in quarantine or spending more time at home due to COVID-19. A number of you have asked whether that means we plan to stop once things normalize a bit. The short answer is no. Uh, we plan to continue to release new lessons indefinitely in hopes of getting through the entire book of Proverbs, however long <laughs> it takes. Uh, in fact, beginning in lesson 53, you may have noticed the, the quality of this video is a bit better than in, 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 uh, in previous ones, and you will notice starting in lesson 53, a significant upgrade in our video and audio quality. So thank you for sticking with us as we've uh, tweaked things in that area, but the audio issues we've had in the past should be behind us now. Uh, our current plan is divine, to divide this series up into seasons. So season one will go through the end of Proverbs chapter three, which we are coming up on. Uh, and then we'll have one more Q&A session followed by one review lesson that Brother Paul will do of uh, Proverbs one through, one through three as a whole. Uh, and that'll be the end of season one. So then we... Uh, we have a lot of things that we're doing here at HeartCry, a lot of exciting projects that are in the works now. So depending on where we're at with filming and such, we may take a, a brief uh, break on our releases, maybe one week uh, between seasons and one and two. But then at the start of season two, we'll jump right back into Proverbs 4, continue with our current release schedule of every uh, at 8 a.m. every Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday and Friday. So that's the plan. Uh, again, thank you again for watching. Please continue to leave leaving your comments, your questions in, in the comment section, as well as your 
your children's questions. Uh, and uh, well, Brother Paul, do you have anything else before we uh, we get out of here? No, I just can't wait to continue. And I, uh, we we really are doing these because children and young adults and adolescents or whatever you are, we we want you to know Christ and we want you to grow in in conformity to Him. Amen. Well, thank you all so much, and God bless. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.